Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. In this series, The Church, an Ancient Future, we are casting vision for a future church that will be relevant in a changing culture by learning ancient truths from the early days of Christianity. For more information about Abundant Life, or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Independence Blue Springs, all of you worshiping our online campus, Lee Summit. So great to see you once again. Part two of a study entitled The Church and Ancient Futures. We retrace the past as a pathway into the future. Gentlemen, let me ask you a question. What would you do If one night you're sitting in your home with your bride, all of a sudden you realize somebody's kicked in the door, two or three men rush in, tell you to sit right there, don't move, takes your bride into another room, begins to abuse her. Use her. How long would you sit there, seriously? How long would you sit and do nothing while your bride is being abused and used by other men? Chances are every man here is going to get up regardless of what it costs them to go defend their bride. Probably every man here would give his life for his bride. Gentlemen, I'd give my life for my bride. I'd give my life for your bride. You better believe I'd give my life for the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the church. The church. Because the reality is that's exactly what is happening to the bride of Christ. It was in the early days, it is now in these latter days. Only what Jude the apostle tells us is they didn't kick the door in, they have crept in. Would you open your Bible please to the book of Jude, right at the end of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation, there's this little book of Jude from the apostle Jude. And it says this in Jude, verse three. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in. I want you to notice they didn't have to kick the door in. They crept into the church and they have abused the church. They have used the church. They have prostituted the church. This is what was going on in early Christianity. It's what's going on today in the 21st century. Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What the apostle Jude is talking about here was an early heresy of Christianity known as Gnosticism. Maybe you've heard of the Gnostics. And it was an early sect, an early cult, that had crept into the church. And these false teachers hadn't kicked the door in, and they, they crept in. They did it in a stealthy kind of way. You see, the real threat to the church has never been on the outside. It's always been on the inside. And what the devil could not do through 300 years of persecution outwardly, he's done over and over again inside the church, inwardly, through deception and distortion and false teaching and false doctrine. And these Gnostics had, in fact, turned the grace of God into lewdness. What the Gnostics had done was marry Greek philosophy to biblical theology. 
And what they taught was that your body's just material. The real you is spiritual and eternal. And so that's the real you. And because your body is not the real you, it's just material, you can do whatever you want to with your body. And they had indeed turned the grace of God into a license to sin and lewdness. And I want you to notice that Gnosticism, not only had it attached itself to Greek philosophy, but specifically it was Epicureanism. If you ever heard of the Epicureans, they taught that pleasure and physical pleasure was the chief end of man. And so they were teaching Christianity is completely compatible with a life of depravity. But the worst thing about the Gnostics is they had married the Greek pantheon of gods to Christianity. And so what they'd done is taught that Jesus was a lesser God. He was not very God, as in God Almighty, God the Creator, but rather he was a lesser God. I want you to see this always happens when you marry what mounts to human philosophy to Christian theology. In church, what happened in the early days of Christianity is happening again in the 21st century. One of the biggest threats to the modern Christianity is the marriage between human philosophy and biblical theology. Now, what I've noticed when you look back through two thousand years of church history is the devil simply has the same play. He just renames it, but it's really actually the same. What we have today is something called postmodernism. Where the Gnostics taught that truth is hidden and can't fully be known, postmodernism teaches there is no truth. You can't really know the truth because there's no such thing as absolute truth. So I can live by my truth and you can live by your truth. See, what has happened is postmodernism in our day has been married to biblical Christianity and consequently what was happening in the first century is happening in today in the 21st century. You can see why we're doing a study on the church and learning from the ancient past so that we can navigate the future. And I want you to understand what we're learning today is that we must aspire to be a church of orthodoxy in an age of heresy and apostasy. Do you understand the early church was always warring with false teaching? That was a threat to Christianity. And what is true then? It is still true today. And so we have to aspire in this age of heresy and apostasy and false teaching everywhere to be a church of orthodoxy. Now, I'm using kind of churchy terms. A lot of you may not know the terms. I want you to understand the terms. Oh, what does this mean, orthodox or orthodoxy. Listen very carefully. Jude chapter 3, or Jude verse 3, he says to contend earnestly. In other words, uh, with fervency, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I want you to notice what Jude says. It's once for all, meaning for all time, every generation, Every man, every woman, the faith once delivered, once and for all, meaning the faith doesn't change from one generation to the next. In other words, he says, it's once for all, contend earnestly for the faith. The same faith that was delivered 2,000 years ago is the same faith that we're to contend for earnestly today, orthodoxy in this age of heresy. Now, uh, when he says once for all, you can almost see just the emphasis on it, like exclamation point or period, or like we said back in the 90s, word. <laughs> yeah, that didn't last very long, did it? Kind of came and went. Or they might say today like, oh, man, that's dope. Do they still say that? Okay, they're shaking their head. The guys on the front row would know, all right? And it's not dope, forget dope. But what he's saying is, hey, it's once for all. In other words, period. Exclamation point. 
Like this is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, contend earnestly for it. In an age where it's always changing and everything is always evolving and everything's kind of wishy-washy and I'm living my truth and you can live your truth and there are no absolute truth. He's saying to contend earnestly for the faith. Now listen, this series is not about trying to save a 2,000-year-old institution called the church because Jesus said in Matthew 16 that upon this rock himself, he'd build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Hey, we don't need to defend the church, save the church. Jesus is perfectly capable of doing that. And I would suggest there are some things about the modern church that we need to throw away, that we need to let go. What we're talking about here is the gospel. We're not just talking about a 2,000-year-old institution that we're trying to hang on to. We're, we're talking about the gospel in terms of your destiny eternally and what is true and what did Jesus do at Calvary and is he God Almighty? I mean, this is what we're to contend earnestly for because what we're talking about is eternal destinies of you and me in all of humanity. A church of orthodoxy in this age of heresy. What is orthodoxy? Orthodoxy is defined as a set of shared beliefs by all Christians related to the foundational and essential tenets of historic Christian faith. In other words, an orthodox gospel, an orthodox Christianity, what is this? It's a set of shared beliefs by every Christian everywhere from all time. Regardless of denomination, regardless of church affiliation, for all that Christians can disagree on, there's a few things on which we all have to agree or you're not a Christian. So what would be orthodox, like essential foundational tenets of Christianity? Let's start with biblical inerrancy. Christ's supremacy as the second person of the Trinity, that he was fully deity, yet he came as fully humanity so that he could bleed and die on the cross of Calvary to deliver us from sin's penalty, that he rose from the dead bodily, and one day he's coming back to rule and reign eternally. That's orthodox Christianity. Those are things all Christians believe on. We're talking about the essentials of the faith. Now, not everything is an essential. Every doctrine, every teaching is important, but not every doctrine is essential, meaning we can disagree on eternal security. Don't get wound around the axle. And it's one of those things Christians fuss and fight about. Can Christians lose their salvation? No, they can't lose their salvation. I have a deep conviction, but I'm not going to get wound around the axle. You can agree. You can disagree. Christians fuss and fight over the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You get baptized in the Spirit, or is it baptism of the Spirit? We are so good at splitting hairs. Are you a four-point Calvinist or a five-point Calvinist? <laughs> and we judge each other's spirituality on... He's a five-pointer. I'm a four-pointer. If you don't know what that means, just be glad. <laughs> you don't need to know right now. Ask me later. See, these are little nuances of the faith. I'm not saying they're not important, but they're not essential. There's certain essential doctrines, teaching of the faith for 2,000 years that every Christian has believed and every Christian must believe because if you don't believe certain things, it's not that you're not a good person. It just means you're not a Christian. And so that is orthodoxy, orthodox Christianity, whether you're a Presbyterian, whether you're a Baptist, whether you're a Methodist, whether you're a Lutheran, whether you're a Catholic, whatever kind and label you wear, there are certain things you have to believe if it's orthodox, orthodoxy in this age of heresy and apostasy. When there's so much false teaching everywhere, what is it exactly that Christians believe? And here's the deal. I'm not talking about the peripheral issues. These are the essential issues. 
Someone once said, on essentials, we have unity. On non-essentials, we have liberty. Live and let live a little bit. And this is what's been going on over and over again. Here's the simple truth is, we are all wrong about something. I guarantee. You're not right about everything. I am not right about everything. I have no idea what I'm not right about right now. (laughs) But I'm certain I'm not right about something. And I will promise we're all going to get to heaven someday, and we're all going to have red dots on our foreheads. I was wrong about that. Woo! Wrong about that. Miss that one. Like, uh, you may be a mid-trib, I'm a pre-trib, I'm emphatic, it's a pre-tribulational rapture, you may be a mid-trib guy, post-trib guy, these are not essentials, these are peripherals, I'm just trying to tell you, when we get raptured before the tribulation, not in the middle of the tribulation, I'm going to say, told you so, as we fly away. (laughs) And if I happen to be wrong, and I could be wrong, we're in the middle of the tribulation, I'm going to say, sorry, church, (laughs) miss that one. I'm ready either way. But see, that's not an essential of the faith. Who is Jesus? That is an essential of the faith. That is the foundation. It's in Matthew 16, as Jesus looked at his apostles, his his disciples, and says, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. See, that's an essential. How you answer that question, his identity, will define your eternal destiny. And that's always what's at stake, orthodoxy as opposed to heresy and apostasy. And this was the early Gnosticism teaching that Jesus was not God, he was just a God. It's what's been repackaged today under the cults that we know today of the 21st century. What is the nature of a Christian cult? They claim to be Christian, but they deny essential tenets of Christianity, beginning with Christ's deity. They say he's a God, but he's not the God. See, it's always been with us. And I want you to understand what's at stake. The Apostles' Creed came in 325 AD. What did the early church do, and how did they respond to these early heresies and false teachings, especially as it pertained to Christ's identity? The year's 325. Gnosticism has come and gone. Now there's a new heresy emerging known as Arianism, led by a guy named Arius, and guess what he taught? He taught that Jesus was not God, but rather that he was a creator. God, like every modern cult. Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, these are good people. They claim to be Christians, but by definition, they're not Christians. You know why? Because their Jesus is different than the biblical Jesus. And it always has to do with his identity. Is he God or is he not? Is he God the creator? Colossians 1.15 says he is. All things are made by him and consist for him and in him. Or is he a created God? And so this man, Arius, was teaching that he's a created God. I've told you, the same lies of the enemy, just repackaged, they're the same, just give them a different name. 325 AD, they're going to settle this issue in in, in an age where there was biblical illiteracy. Uh, At this time in history, most people were illiterate. They couldn't read. If you can't read the Bible, you can't read the Word, how do you know the truth? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And it's the truth that will keep you free. But when you have lies and heresy coming at you, how do you know the difference if you can't read? So it's a time of illiteracy. Not only that, this was long before the printing press. So a lot of believers did not have copies of the Word of God. Like, we take for granted the fact that we have the Bible instantly accessible, even on our smartphone. 
In these ancient days, you didn't have a Bible easily accessible. You know why? Because there were no printing presses, meaning if you had a Gospel of John, you had gotten it from somebody else, and you had hand-copied it, and uh, you might have a Gospel of Mark, and you'd give your Gospel of Mark to them, and they'd give you their Gospel of John, and they would copy your Mark, and you'd copy their John, and then you'd give it back, and that's how you compiled the Bible in the early days. That's why we had, today we have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. You hear people say all the time, well, you know, the Bible's changed through time, and it's evolved, and we don't really know what it said originally. Phony baloney. A deeply theological term. I just made it up. Phony baloney. That's not true. You hear this all the time. Well, it's evolved and it's changed. No, no, here's what we have. 5,000 plus Greek manuscripts of the New Testament from early believers hand copying word for word and they would exchange this book for that book and that's how you put together your Bible. Many of those copies remain to this day. And what we can do now is look at a copy from say 1,000 AD and compare that to a copy from 500 AD. There's 500 years in between and this is the same thing as this. It hasn't changed, church. And what happens in 325 AD, though, is the world is illiterate. So they're easily deceived by these heresies, specifically Christ's identity. And at this time in history, it was Arianism. I would suggest the same problem is today in the 21st century, biblical illiteracy, even in the church. People don't know what the Bible says. If you don't know what the Bible says, how in the world are you gonna grow spiritually so you're not easily deceived by the lies of the enemy? So what they did in 325 AD, 318 bishops and pastors from around the Roman world, they all gathered in a place called Nicaea, modern day Turkey, and they put together what is still used today in some denominations and traditions called the Apostles' Creed, Orthodox Christianity. It says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Don't think Roman Catholic Church. This word Catholic means universal or global. I believe in the holy global church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Word. Period. On the end of the sentence, that, that's Orthodox Christianity. 325 AD, you can look at it all these centuries later, that is still Orthodoxy. And they settled this question of who is Jesus? He is deity, the second person of the Trinity, the sinless son of God, came like the sons of men so that he could die for our sin, so that we could be forgiven, and three days later, he rose again. That's what Christians believe. That's Orthodox Christianity, regardless of whatever else you might believe. And we must aspire like the early church to be a church of orthodoxy in this age of heresy and this age of apostasy. I'm going to talk about those terms in just a minute. What I want you to see at our church, in our faith tradition, we don't have a creed, we don't have a catechism. In the early days, they did because Christians couldn't read, and so they would memorize this creed by heart. They would memorize it because they couldn't read the New Testament. They were illiterate, and they would memorize this, and then they would realize this is orthodox 
Christianity. This is what the apostles taught in Acts chapter 2, the apostles' doctrine. Now, while we don't have a creed or catechism, we got something we call discipleship one. It's a core value of our church. In fact, 21 years ago, year one, one of our first goals we had was to establish a discipleship ministry, which we still have to this day. And some of us here need to sign up today. Go online and sign up for Discipleship One. We will pair you up with a mentor figure, a spiritual father, a big brother. Look at it however you want. Like a big sister in the faith, whatever you want to call that. 18 lessons. You start working through the Bible. As you grow in your knowledge of the Word of God, then you can grow up in your walk with God. But you can't grow up with your walk with God if you don't grow deeper in your knowledge of the Word of God. See, now we have access to the New Testament, but there's still biblical illiteracy in Christ's body. There's the problem. I want you, and God your Father wants you to be so familiar with the truth that you instantly recognize a lie when you hear it. And that's what discipleship will help do for you. Be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness of men. Ephesians 4 and verse 14. You know what the Apostle Paul was teaching the Ephesians? Children are easily deceived. Grow up spiritually so you recognize the lies of the enemy. 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. It says this. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. As you get into the milk of God's word, the milk of God's word gets into you and you start growing up physically through the milk of your mother and you start growing up spiritually through the milk of God's word. That's God's goal for your life. It's always been from the early days of Christianity. But you can't grow in what you don't know. So our creed, our catechism, it's the New Testament. It's the Apostles' Doctrine. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, all 66 books of the Bible, specifically even the Old Testament. I'm talking about the book of Leviticus. When the Apostle Paul wrote these words, there wasn't yet the New Testament. He was talking specifically about the Old Testament, even the book of Leviticus that most modern Christians couldn't find with a flashlight. Yeah, it's there for a reason. Now, I can't prove to you that all Scripture is indeed inspired by God. I'm convinced it is. And you hear a lot of people today say, well, the Bible's just the work of men. It's just the myth of men. And, you know, it was just penned by men. No, listen carefully. It was penned by men, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want evidence to believe, there's all kinds of evidence to believe. This isn't blind faith. Just blindly believe this book that's thousands of years old. Really? Hey, if you'll go online, we have something called the Watching World Podcast, Ed Credo and I did an eight or nine week series of podcasts where we talk specifically about the evidence for the Bible's reliability, its historicity, and the science of archaeology, and the manuscript evidence, and all the reasons we really can believe the Bible is supernatural. It's a supernatural book. And if you want to know the evidence, it's there. I don't have time to share it with you. That's why we did the podcast. I'm going to ask you just to blindly believe anything. I'm saying examine the evidence. In an age that says the Bible's not reliable, I want you to see that indeed the reliability, the historicity, you can stake your eternal destiny. And it's the truth that sets you free. It's the truth that keeps you free. And it's the truth that will define your destiny eternally. 
From the earliest pages of human history, Genesis 3.1, the devil, your enemy, has always wanted to get you to doubt what God has said. His first recorded words in Scripture, Genesis 3.1, has God said. Do we have a revelation from God or not? And I'm convinced, in fact, we do. Now listen, don't get hung up on all the stuff you don't have answers to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us our faith as Christians is founded on the resurrection. Our faith is founded on Jesus, that he died for our sin, that he rose again. I can't prove to you everything that's in the Bible, but I can prove to you beyond reasonable doubt, not all doubt, but beyond reasonable doubt that 2,000 years ago, this man Jesus died on a cross, a brutal, bloody death. He spent three days in the grave, but three days later he rose from the dead and he's alive today. That is what our faith is founded on. Our faith is not founded on whether or not this man Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. I can't prove to you that happened. I can prove beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and rose from the dead. I can't prove Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, but I'll tell you why I believe Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, because Jesus did. And I'm convinced Jesus came out of the grave. And if indeed, Jesus, if indeed Jesus came out of the grave, I can thereby believe everything he said. I think he knew what he was talking about. See, when you settle the resurrection, you get everything else that comes with it. And a lot of those questions you once asked no longer matter. Like, believers want to debate the age of the earth. Does it really matter? Is that really a condition of salvation? See, all these peripheral issues, like I'm convinced Genesis 1 is not allegorical, it's literal, but listen, the test of orthodoxy is not how long the earth has been here, it's how it got here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How long has it been here? I don't know, I know how it got here. See, all these things you get hung up on, you're getting hung up on the wrong things. Did Jesus come out of the grave? Is he the sinless son of God that has the power to forgive your sin? That's the real issue. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, penned by men, yet word for word delivered by God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine, that simply means teaching. Doctrine, what to believe. Reproof, what not to believe. Correction, what not to do. Instruction in righteousness, what to do. You see, the scripture is given for our maturity, for our equipping to live life abundantly, not just now, but for eternity. It's not built on human philosophy and the empty wisdom and philosophy of men that's always changing, coming and going with the wind. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what to believe, reproof, what not to believe, for correction, what not to do, for instruction, what to do. There you have it. Everything God wants us to know, do, and believe as Christians is contained therein. Yet we live at a time of salad bar Christianity, salad bar religion, meaning build your own salad, build your own religion, pick and choose based on what is palatable to you. That's how the average American defines their religion. Build your own salad, build your own religion. This past week, Sean Struckmeyer and I went to Jason's Deli. 
for salad. It was awesome. I love Jason's Deli. When I'm in the mood for salad, if you don't have a Jason's Deli in your part of the world, just think about wherever you go when you want a salad bar. Because we build our religion, the average American, the way most of us build our salad. I know exactly what I like. I don't go for the iceberg lettuce. I go straight to the spinach. I put some red onions, some bell peppers, a little bit of baby carrots, a little bit of the white cheese. I do it the same way every time because I know what I like. I know what I don't like. After the white cheese, I go straight to the bacon bits. Bacon makes everything better. Lots and lots of bacon goes on my salad. Then I pile high the cheddar cheese. Lots and lots of cheddar cheese. No beets. Beets should have never met salad. Shouldn't even be on the salad bar. And then I go for the ranch dressing. Obviously, I'm not the only one. Lots and lots of ranch dressing is what makes a salad say no to the blue cheese. Blue cheese is a bad idea. (laughs) Hate blue cheese, but I do like the ranch. Lots and lots and lots of ranch. I leave behind what I don't like. I put on lots and lots what I do like. And that is how you build a salad. (laughs) I'm living my truth. Now, right there is how the average American builds a religion. It's a salad bar mentality religiously and spiritually. I don't like that. Leave that alone. Oh, I do like this. I'll take a little of this. Like, I don't like hell. Oh, no. I don't want hell. I like me some heaven. Get me some heaven. Even though Jesus talked four times more about hell than he did about heaven. Oh, no, leave that behind. Don't like that doctrine. Give me some heaven. Oh, give me some love. I love the love of God. Let's talk about the love of God. More verses about the love of God. Oh, I don't like the wrath of God. Leave that there. Judgment. Oh, no, no, no. Give me some love. Love soup. Love soup. On the salad bar. See, that's postmodernism. There are no absolutes. Postmodern thinking has invaded biblical theology. Where now I can pick and choose what I like and leave behind what I don't like as if we have the power and the authority as mere mortals to decide what only God gets to. Really? We can decide who God is. We the creature, not the creator. See, that's the salad bar we now live in in the 21st century, and that very mentality has invaded Christianity. It hasn't been done by people kicking the door in. We have opened the door and let them come in. Human philosophy meets Christian theology. And what was going on in the early days is now going on in our day. What do we do? Hebrews 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, he has not changed. The faith has not changed. Christianity hasn't changed. It's not a salad bar to pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. He is the same. He changes not. In a world that's forever changing, God is the same. Because he is who he is. Instead of trying to make him line up behind you, how about you line up behind him? Instead of making the Bible, his word, align behind your life, how about you align your life behind the Bible, his word? I don't get to pick and choose what I like and what I don't like. He's God and I'm not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What do we do? Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Writing to the early church, that wisdom, that ancient wisdom needed more than ever in the latter church, the modern church. Speaking here of heresy, what is heresy? Heresy is an unbiblical doctrine of extra-biblical teaching that is added to the foundational tenets of Christianity. It's what you add to. 
in addition to extra biblical, not biblical. So what would be an example? One of the tenets of the faith, essential of the faith, is that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That you can't work your way into heaven, but rather it's Jesus who worked for you. You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us. Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not saved by anything you do for him. You're saved exclusively because of what he has done for you. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross for you. And the last words he uttered before he laid down his life for you is, it is finished. And the moment anyone adds something you got to do to what God has done for you, that is a heretical gospel. That is a false gospel. Understand why these folks got baptized today. That's a work they're doing for God. Baptism, they didn't get baptized to become a Christian, they got baptized to show they are a Christian. They didn't get baptized to be forgiven of their sin, they got baptized to demonstrate they've been forgiven of their sin. See, belief and obedience always go hand in hand. Like if you've truly believed on the name of the Son of God, you'll fully obey the Word of God. You can say what you think, but you will do what you believe. Baptism is the first test of obedience. But it is not the source of our salvation. It's a shadow of our salvation. Jesus is the substance of our salvation. See, a heretical gospel adds something extra biblical to what God says. Now, that's different than apostasy. Heresy is a little bit different than apostasy. Apostasy is turning from and rejecting the foundational tenets of Christianity once held as essential to the faith. So where heresy is adding a false teaching to it, apostasy is taking an essential teaching from it. What would be an essential to the faith? Like Orthodox Christianity, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know why Jesus could make that claim? Because he's the only one who has the way. He's the only one that ever died for your sin and rose again. Now postmodernism says, oh no, always lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. Any religion will do. They all lead to the same place. That's postmodern philosophy that's invaded theology. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. You know why? Because he's the only one that ever died for your sin and rose again. Allah did not do that. Muhammad did not do that. Confucius did not do that. Jesus alone rose from the dead. He could say, I'm the only way. And the very first gospel message ever preached, Acts chapter four, by the apostle Peter, Acts four and verse 12, there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. But now postmodern philosophy has now infiltrated Christian theology. 80% of American churches have abandoned the Bible. 80% are apostate by definition, and it shows up first always like this. Well, Jesus is my way, but he's not the only way. There are probably many ways, even though Jesus is my way. 
So a pastor in Chicago, Illinois, she pastors the second largest church, a Presbyterian Church USA, was doing an interview recently with the Chicago Sun-Times where the interviewer asked her specifically this question, do you believe Christianity is the only way to heaven? Here is her answer. No, God's not a Christian. I mean, we are. For me, the Christian tradition is the way to understand God and my relationship with the world and other humans. And it's the way for me to move into that relationship, but I'm not about to say what God can and cannot do in other ways and with other spiritual experiences. John Knox, who fathered the Presbyterian movement, would be rolling over in his grave. John Knox, who literally gave his life as a martyr for the gospel. This is apostasy. This is apostate Christianity. John Knox will be rolling over in his grave and I can only imagine the Lord Jesus Christ. What I will say is there's literally gonna be hell to pay for false teachers like this who have crept into the church and is leading people to their destruction. James 3.1 says, we, teachers, will receive the stricter judgment. Mr. Theologian, when you allow postmodern philosophy to begin shaping your Christian theology, it always leads to apostasy, it always leads to heresy, it leads to a salad bar mentality. And we are watching one of the great prophetic signs of the last days emerge before our eyes. Jude 17, what do we do? Beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to remember. Remember the words. Ephesians 2 and verse 20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We're to remember the words of the New Testament, the apostles' writing, Acts 2, the apostles' doctrine. Why did we spend four months studying First Peter? We were studying what? The words of the apostles, specifically the apostle Peter. Today, what are we doing? We're studying specifically and remembering the words of the apostle Jude on which the New Testament church is built. Not modern teachers who come and go with every whim and philosophies of men. And we're watching something very significant happen in our lifetime, something Jude told us would happen, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These false teachers are driven out of ungodly lusts. I told you last time, where God is demoted, man is promoted. And self-promotion leads to self-deification. And self-idolatry always leads to false teaching, apostasy, and heresy. I can pick and choose what is most palatable for me. Very significant end times prophecy we're watching emerge in this modern Christian dispensation. The end times church described in scripture is a harlot. One that has prostituted the truth with lies. When you get back to Revelation 17, five, you're now in the tribulation. You're just a couple of years before the second coming. The church has already been raptured. And it says this, and on her forehead, speaking of the church, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, 
and the abomination of the earth. Now remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the church is called a chaste virgin bride. Jesus is coming for a chaste virgin bride, the church that has her chastity, the church that has her purity theologically. But this church is anything but chaste. She's become a harlot. You know why? Because she's prostituted the truth with lies. Christianity has been prostituted with human philosophy. This church is now more pagan than Christian. It's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, let no one deceive you, church. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day? The second coming, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. That term falling away comes from the Greek word apostia, from which we get the word apostasy. He was predicting an end times apostasy of the church. Those who once knew the truth and followed the truth, now turning from the truth, and it's happening in 80% of American churches. There was a time, it didn't matter, the church you went to 100 years ago, any denomination from Presbyterian to Pentecostal, from Baptist to Methodist to Lutheran Episcopalian, it did not matter. On the essentials of the faith, everybody said the same thing, believed the same thing, but all that's changed. The church is falling away. The great falling away is in our lifetime like no other time in all of church history. I'd like to say it's out there, but it's also in here. I was stunned a year ago when data was released by the Arizona Christian College Cultural Research Center, led by George Barn, the premier religious researcher of our day, I was absolutely shocked, speechless, when I saw some of these stats. 52% of evangelicals don't believe in absolute truth. Who's evangelicals? It's us, by definition. Social scientists call churches like ours evangelical. Evangelicals believe in biblical inerrancy, biblical authority, like we're supposed to be the ones that still believe the Bible. Yet 52% of us, half the people here right now, half the people listening right now on our online campus don't believe in absolute truth. Postmodernism has deeply shaped the way even some of us think. Romans 12 and verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word of God is the mind of God. 52% of us have become more postmodern than we are Christian. 75% of evangelicals believe people are basically good, even though Romans 7, 18 says, all that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Jesus said in Matthew 19, no one is good except for God. Now, 75% of us say, I'm basically a good person. Know what God says, you're basically a wicked, sinful, fallen person. Ephesians 2 and verse 1, sin don't just make you bad, it makes you dead. That's why you need redemption. You need salvation. Well, the world's postmodernism says we're basically good, bad, good people. Sometimes we just do bad things. You know what God says? No, you're basically a bad person. You can sometimes do good things. Until you know the Son of God, you can't do God things. See, it's not just in mainline Protestant denominations. They did a study there too. It's not just in the Roman Catholic Church. Did a study in there too. I'm just telling you the stats. This is about us. 
It ain't pretty. One third of one half evangelicals embrace one or more beliefs or behaviors contrary to biblical Christian teaching. In other words, we are living lives that are contradictory and antithetical to Christianity. One third to one half. Here's what the stats show about Pentecostals and Charismatics. I was stunned, shocked. 69% of Pentecostal Charismatic Christians reject absolute moral truth. What? You gotta be kidding, really? These are people who claim to believe the Bible. Modern human philosophy has invaded our thinking. 54% of Pentecostal charismatic Christians are unwilling to define human life as sacred with half saying the Bible is ambiguous on its teaching toward abortion. Are you kidding? It is not ambiguous. Have you ever read Psalm 139, Jeremiah chapter 1? That's such an inconvenient teaching. I think I'm going to leave that on the salad bar. See, that's what's happened. George Barna He made these comments after the study. The irony of the reshaping of the spiritual landscape in America is that it represents a post-Christian reformation driven by people seeking to retain a Christian identity. Unfortunately, the theology of this reformation is being driven by American culture rather than biblical truth. The worldviews embraced by the adherents of these distinct religious communities reflect contemporary worldly influence rather than biblical influence. What he's saying is postmodernism has crept in to even the mind of self-professing Christians. It's led to an age of deconstruction, deconstructionism. I don't know if you watch the news or Christian news, but in the last five years, there have been lots and lots of Christian celebrities and household names that have left the faith. didn't start in 2019, but a kind of climax in 2019 when Joshua Harris, who became a Christian celebrity by the age of 20 in 1997, he'd authored a book that sold over a million copies, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Well, in 2019, he kissed his wife goodbye, divorced her, and then he kissed Christianity goodbye. He left the faith. Shortly thereafter, Marty Sampson, who was a Hillsong worship leader that spent the last 20 years writing the lyrics to many worship songs sung in churches all over the world, he made a post, left his face. Another Christian artist, a Christian worship leader by the name of John Cooper is the leading voice for the Christian group Skillet. 2019, shortly thereafter, he posted a blog online, I think he appropriately named what in God's name is going on in Christianity. I don't have time to read you the whole thing. You can see it online. Let me just read you the last two paragraphs. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. 
We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion, and what we are seeing now is the result of the truth of church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth, who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth, and now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading, influencing boldly away from the truth. Is it any wonder that some of our disavowed Christian leaders are letting go of the absolute truth of the Bible, and subsequently their lives are falling apart? Further and further they are sinking in the sea, all the while shouting, now I've found the truth, follow me. Brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths, but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God for he changes not. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God shall stand forever. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. That's my kind of worship leader. That's the kind of worship leaders we've got at Abundant Life, worship and the word. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It is a light unto my feet. It is a lamp unto my path. The Bible, infallible, authoritative, inerrant. It is the sword for the soldier. It is the staff for the shepherd. And it is the anchor of the soul. Let's hold tightly. In this age of heresy and apostasy, while others are falling away, we don't have to. Let's hold tightly to the truth. Let's stand for the truth, church, in these days of deception. I'm gonna pray right now. I'm gonna say amen. I'm gonna come off this platform. I'm gonna stand right there. Because somebody here needs to come meet me right there, and today is the day of salvation. I wanna pray with you personally. If you'll let me do that, I will. Jesus, I pray for every person here, those that are watching online and the other campuses. And today I've contended earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. I pray abundant life would be a body of believers that would contend earnestly for the faith. In an age of heresy, apostasy, when so many others are falling away, that we would stand forever anchored to the timeless truth of God's word. I pray God today for that man or woman that even at this moment is in danger of leaving here or ending this service online, in danger of a Christless eternity. God in heaven, I petition you for the souls of men and women. Lord, I plead for the souls of men and women Oh God, would you please affect their salvation in this age of deception. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me today? Praise him, would you? I love you a whole bunch, church. God bless you. God go with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof 
of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.